Hi there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Cloud-Based Mayhem. And a couple of quick things of housekeeping here. The first is, many of you know, I'm a Cortel dealer and been getting a lot of requests lately for harnesses, the new Cannibal and that kind of thing. Just a heads up that Cortel is not alone here, you know, coming out of the whole COVID thing and all the supply chain problems. If you're wanting a wing or a harness or anything, pretty much across the brands, as I understand it, uh, the wait times right now are really, really long. So be thinking about that. If you're hoping to get something for this summer, you're probably already too late. So just be thinking about that and whoever you get your gear from, reach out and get stuff, get in the queue, get in the line. Cause I know a lot of people are pretty disappointed. They're not gonna be able to get their stuff for comps that they have this season and that kind of thing. So it's just the nature of the beast right now. The other thing I wanted to mention is SkySight. Um, we did a podcast with Matt, They're the main developer there, uh, quite a while back. And I have been using this platform a lot more lately and it's just absolutely terrific. So I just wanted to give them a little bit of a shout out. Their models are fantastic. We used them a lot in the X-Alps and I've been thinking about them lately because my guest today is Benjamin Kellett down in New Zealand. He makes these incredible films. Go to the show notes to find all the links, but look them up on YouTube. He makes these amazing films about his bivy trips down in the, in the Southern Alps down in New Zealand and really good instructional stuff and amazing audio. He's a, he's a terrific filmmaker and editor. So the talk I had with him is great, but you'll hear in the show, we talk about SkySight quite a bit. And it's one of the forecasting tools he really relies on down there. So check it out, skysight.io. And let's get into this talk with Benjamin. I was, Benjamin came onto my radar because of our editor. Miles Connolly and said, Hey man, you got to check this guy out. He's doing some really cool stuff. And I looked him up on YouTube and got sucked into the, sucked into the film vortex that he's been making there right, right deep down in the rabbit hole. And, uh, his films are amazing. They're, they're really fun. And he's obviously putting a ton of effort into it. It's kind of a passion project and kind of just sharing the stoke of paragliding. So as you'll see in this show and as you'll see in his films, he's a very consummately optimistic guy and he's incredibly stoked on the sky crack and having a lot of fun. So we talk about uh, his gear and his how he forecasts and how he approaches Bivy, how he got into it and where he's going. And it's uh, a lot of fun. So enjoy this talk with actually I was going to say Kiwi, but he's not. He's a, he's, a, uh, he's a Brit, but he's been down in New Zealand for a long time now. And uh, enjoy this talk with Benjamin Kellett. Cheers. Benjamin, uh, great to have you on the show. I'm really excited that our editor, Miles, put me on to you because it sucked me into the down the rabbit hole watching all your films. Uh, fantastic stuff, man. And I, you know, I've been in that side of the the game a little bit too, not as much in the creation side like you have, but I know how difficult that is. And I understand you're doing all your own editing and we'll have the links up obviously in the show notes to your films. And so our listeners can go and watch what you've been doing down in New Zealand, but fantastic stuff and really excited to talk to you. Oh, thanks, mate. Thanks for having us on. And uh, yeah, I mean, you don't know this, but you've been my hiking companion for many years now. And yeah, what you're doing is amazing. So yeah, I'm really stoked to be a part of it. So thanks for having me on. 
Oh, wicked. Well, uh, you know where I thought we'd start because I don't know it. Tell me your history of flying. How'd you get into this? How long you been doing it? And when did you start making the films? So I couldn't really tell you why I started paragliding. It was kind of just one of those things that just happened, you know, like I think I just had some, yeah, I did no, absolutely no research. I had really no idea about it. I didn't know you could fly cross country or any of this stuff. In the beginning, I just thought it was sled rides, you know? So, I mean, it was seven years ago. I'm living in Queenstown and obviously there's a lot of tandem flying here. So I see them flying off the gondola and all of this. And I think I just had like, you know, I had the spare 250 bucks one day and I needed a new hobby. It's summer. So I go out to Flight Park, which is our local um, spot and uh, did the intro day. The intro day, they just sort of teach you to launch and land, you know, it's just an introductory. And at the end of the day, they go, well, if you come back tomorrow, you can fly off Coronet Peak. Like, oh, well, I'm going to do that. I'm going to come back and fly off the Coronet Peak. That's got to happen. And then that just totally got me. And throughout the rest of the course, yeah, I just, um, you know, just learned more and more and more. And they talk, told me, oh, you can do this. You can do aerobatics. You can fly long distance and you can access these cool places and you can go up to the cloud. I'm like, oh, well, this is this is me. I'm, I'm set. This is wicked. But yeah, like I, I learned in New Zealand. Um, I'm originally from the UK, so... Yeah, some might pick up. I've got a bit of a mongrel accent at times. Uh, yeah, I, I moved <laughs> here when I was. Yeah, yeah, I moved here when I. So I start saying yeah, nah, yeah, nah, and stuff like that. That'll be why. But uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I moved here when I was nineteen. So I've been here knocking on eleven years now. Um, I originally came here to snowboard, um, but you know, so skateboarding led me to snowboarding. Snowboarding brought me to the mountains, and 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 the mountains gave me paragliding. Um, but yeah. Yeah, full full blown home now. I recognize Coronet Peak right right off the bat because when I was young, I was really into ski racing, and that's one of my fondest memories was skiing Coronet Peak. Do you guys oh, cool. remember? Do you remember uh, one of New Zealand's most famous racers? A guy was a guy named Simon Wyrutney. Oh yeah, he was on the, the national team for a bunch of years. Just yep. a mad skier. He was insanely fast and. Uh, I got to follow him down Coronet Peak. Oh, epic! Years ago, yeah, a bunch of air. It was fantastic, but I wasn't a pilot then, mm. and that's what struck me in your videos was I, you know, I I wasn't a pilot when I was in New Zealand. It was a long time ago, but it was uh, you can top land anywhere. It yeah. just looks terrific for what you're doing for Volbiv and yeah. for multi day assaults on the mountains. I didn't realize that. I mean, I, I've, you know, I saw Nick Nain and stuff and I, I've seen people doing these, you know, really cool South to North traverses yeah. kind of thing, but I, I didn't realize the terrain was so, I, I, I always think of New Zealand as being treed and, and mm. wet. Um, it depends which side of the divide you're on. Um, but mm. yeah, certainly the West, West of the divide is very wet and we get predominantly the weather coming from the West and, it all sort of dumps on the west coast and it's a bit of a jungle out there. But east of the divide, which is most of the island, is is totally fine. I mean, there are some areas further north where you've got some more pine trees. Um, and there are some areas where there's some beech trees. But certainly the bush line sits up at like 1,500 meters. So even where there is trees and stuff, you, you, you can totally land, top land and camp and keep going. The only thing that holds us back is the weather. I mean, at the end of the day, we are a a mountainous country that's just sort of risen out of the sea. So it does get complex at times and uh, mm. so you can get some gnarly sea breezes and things like that. And we don't often get really long stretches of good weather, but certainly there's some like three or four days and that it's just, it's just brilliant. Yeah. It is really a great place for, for Volbiv, you know, and I think, 
I think New Zealand will naturally like sort of breed Volbiv pilots because in order to do um, good distance here, you kind of have to fly into terrain that requires you to be prepared to stay out for a few nights. And, mm. you know, so if you want to do some big cross country, start getting the gear and you're thinking about it, even if you're not inclined to do Volbiv in the first place. And before you know it, you're doing Volbiv and you're having the best time. And he has a really good crew and the scene is growing here massively, which is really exciting. That's really exciting. So there's there's more and more pilots every year. It's a it's oh, it's a it's, growing sport in New Zealand yeah, exponentially. Like it, it, well, really say say specifically with Volbiv. So yeah, we're increasing pilot numbers. But what what's really happening, and especially you know, we can thank COVID for this a lot, is that a lot of people have got more spare time now. So we we've got a lot of tandem pilots that work here, and a lot of people that work in the industry, and a lot of people who fly that maybe got full time jobs. But with all their extra time now, and you know. New Zealand's been locked off to the rest of the world for for a couple of years. You know, been a bit of a hermit country, so the tourism industry's died, and everyone's just got this extra time, and everyone's just sending it out the back. It's great. So the level That's of pilot is exponential. So, you know, if you if you go back, um, uh, Tim Percival, he put um, he's um, he's on the comp committee here. He put a really interesting article up in our our magazine, Airborne, and he's comparing statistics of our community year on year. And the distance in which everybody's flying and and it's just it's going through the roof. Everyone's just improving and skilling up and having a blast. So yeah, yeah, it's pretty exciting to see. It's pretty exciting to be a part of. And yeah, the community's in really good health. Did you get into Volbiv pretty quick then? So you know, you go up to Coronet Peak the next day, you fly and then start real, realizing the potential pretty quickly? Because I was the same way. When I first flew, I, I thought you just launched off the mountain and landed at the parking lot. I yeah. had no idea. It wasn't until I saw the X-Alps that I went, wait, what? Yeah, like, yeah. What totally. are these people doing? Yeah, um, it's kind of a, you know, it took me um, a, a couple of times of uh, having some pretty rubbish attempts at flying cross country that quickly <laughs> put me in areas that I had to walk for for long periods. And I thought, you know, what am I like spending the rest of the day walking out this is a pretty cool campsite you know like you could probably just stay here and do it and then you start thinking what what really got me into Volbiv as well is that there was places that I wanted to fly and they seemed really cool and 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 but they're quite remote so you have to be prepared so you just start getting the gear and and then you go and then do you know what what I'm going to do today is I'm I'm planning I'm going to go and stay out and and that completely changed my mentality um, and that's been a big, big step for people flying cross country here is that the, if you stop worrying about bombing out in the back and having to walk for days and start thinking, I'm going to go and bomb out the back and go camping and it's going to be awesome, then you most likely just fly right through there and, you know, and you're just not <laughs> thinking about it anymore. And it really changes the way we fly. Right. And that, that's kind of what happened to me. Um, I, I started going, I want to go camping. And then those two things happened together. And then I started flying further and further. And then the adventure just got bigger and bigger. For, for those who haven't flown in New Zealand, we were talking before we started recording, you were saying about the remoteness that, you know, mm. it's the South Island is quite a bit more remote than, than the North, but yeah. you were saying you're, you don't really ever get too far away from towns, yeah. villages. What? Yeah, exactly. I mean, like you can quite easily like... There's not many towns and villages. There's, there's not really any public transport. There's no trains. There's no real bus services apart from the ones that go around the cities, which we have few of. Um, some valleys have got roads up them. Um, some don't. 
some of those roads are dirt roads that only have you know a couple of cars coming up and down a day but more or less i'd say um, with a good set of walking legs on you you should be able to get back to at least an unsealed road within two to three days especially if you stay we- um, east of the divide if you start going west of the divide mm-hmm. your your hours per kilometer start going through the roof because the bush is just so <laughs> thick yeah it's pretty heinous um but and there's some there's some places like that east of the divide that i've, I've found as well but um but yeah generally speaking Two, two, two to three days max, you know, and if you decent level of fitness, you should be able to get back out again, which for me is, you know, like if I start flying somewhere like if I muck up and I've got a week full of bushwhacking then I'm not really so keen anymore. But two days is enough that it's an adventure and it's exciting and, that, you know, you've got that capability to get out and go camping and there's huts, there's plenty of huts around that are all you know, some of them are spectacular. Some of them got heaps of character, and most huts are sort of one day's walk in between each one. Um, so there are facilities, but yeah, for me, it's you're you're exposed, but not like you know, we're not flying in Pakistan. It's it's um, mm. yeah, it's exciting. Your, your videos do a really good job of describing this, uh, but how how do you how do you plan these trips? Are you are you literally just launching from queenstown and flying the weather and and where you end up is where you end up or Mm. have you got have you typically got more of an objective yeah so yeah it's really is just to the weather but in the sense that i do i do plan the flights beforehand and i have an idea of the direction in which i want to go and which areas i think are good and that plays a part in um you know, like it, you, you sort of take that into account on the day and it's sort of translating the forecast into what's what's really going on. But, I'll, I'll, you know, I spend sometimes and especially especially at the beginning of the season when I'm really hungry for it, I spend a lot of time planning and I'll spend, you know, days before. And I sometimes I have a joke with my mates. They're like, where are you going flying? I'm like, I don't know. I haven't looked at the forecast for eight hours yet. And I'll you know, like I've still got another six to go. Um, but, yeah, I'll pour over it a lot because um you know that's the thing because it's such a it's a small island and it feels like quite a technical flying place is that some areas can be excellent and then just you know the next valley over can be quite different and not very good so i'll pick the area that i think is really good and on the day just go with it and go and see how far and i'll have like a best expectations and a worst i'll say you know like worst case scenario i'm going to take off from coronet peak and i'm going to glide to the next mountain and we'll walk up it and i'm going to camp cool that's a good trip Mm. What's better than that? Well, the next mountain and the next mountain after that. And then, well, what if I get to this place? I mean, I mean, you know, and you sort of start, you know, it's kind of a normal thing, I guess, but um, plan for the, what seems unachievable and um, anything in between is just spectacular. See how it goes. Yeah. What are you using for forecasting? SkySight. Yeah. Mostly SkySight. So yeah, I've used okay. some of the other, um, I use a bit of, bit of windy for general airflow and but more and more, um, I'm just relying on SkySight, which does a pretty good job here. I mean, it's like anything. It's not completely foolproof, but it is, it's pretty spot on most of the time. And do you use their just their model or using – Are you, do you have HR3 down there too? Um, I just use their model. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't, okay. don't swap between models on that one. I do on Wendy. You can – it's quite easy to jump between yep. the two. But yeah, SkySight, I just use that. And then once you're, once you're out of Queenstown, is your – Cell? Do you have pretty decent cell coverage where you go in these places? Or are you are you then relying on inReach? Oh, inReach, yeah. Um, you get cell reception when you're above sort of two and a half thousand meters in in most places. But yeah, as soon literally, I mean, as soon as you walk around the back of Coronet Peak, it's you've got no yeah. Even on the summit, you don't you don't have. That's cell. it. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, so forecasting wise, are you say you're going out for a three day when you leave Coronet, you've got, you know, pretty good forecast, but it starts to deteriorate as yeah. the days go by. Are you having people sending you messages on inReach to give you updates or yeah, to are some you extent, just looking yeah. at the sky? Yeah, a bit of both really. So I, I usually um, will have a pretty detailed look at the forecast before I go. Sometimes I'll take screenshots, um, but I just usually try and memorize it. And then, but like, like anything, any forecast anywhere, probably the, um, the forecast changes and it, and it can change rapidly. So I usually just get updates sent to the inReach that um, are uh, mostly for safety and, and some in some aspects towards instability and potential, but mostly like what's the wind strength on the surface? What's the wind strength up high? Um, am I going to get any gnarly sea breezes? And does it look on for me to keep going? And it, usually that forecast will fit inside 160 character text that just gives me a bit of a gist. And then with that, I'll just go with the day. But some, sometimes I'll, I'll be flying and, um, you know, just before I start falling, you know, lower or I think I'm getting nearer the end of the day, I might give a mate a ring and see if they can screenshot some stuff and send it to me. I've done that in the past and that's been been super helpful when I know I've got some mates at work who are watching the tracker and stuff. Yeah. Are, are you, is New Zealand really prone on the South Island, you know, on the sunny days? Is a, is a sea breeze effect almost guaranteed? Yeah, not every day, but most days. Um, it's a bit of a trick to try and predict which side of the, the island it's going to come from. It does kind of depend on where you are. And, and there's some aspects to it that I don't really fully understand myself um, with, the, you know, high pressure on low pressure on which side of the island. But generally speaking, you can say that the sea breeze in Queenstown is always going to come from the south. And what time it comes through will vary day to day. But on the really big, unstable days, you get strong sea breezes, which are gnarly if you're away from the divide. But at the same time, and this is something which is um, I've really over the last few years, that's been a bit of a, a light bulb moment with with my own flying is using those to, to extend the day rather than end of the day. Because we get some pretty cool convergences that, that happen out here. And a lot of those are triggered from sea breezes. But yeah, you get in sometimes in the valleys and often the valleys are quite wide. Um, so it's not overly dangerous. I mean, as long as you can land backwards in a paddock, you're pretty sweet. Yeah, you can you can it definitely put you on the deck if you don't use it in the right way. But we get easterly coming up through a Marimer and that and that feeds a, a beautiful convergence that leads up towards the Benno House in the direction of Mount Cook. Yeah, it's a pretty interesting spot. Hmm. You said that you said the sea breezes are much stronger when you get away from the divide. So they're, what yeah. you're saying is they're, they're really strong out in the flats. And when you're up in the mountains, they'll kind of split it. And, yeah, and- well, it's sort of where the mountains, so they are strong out in the flats. Um, so you've got some areas where you kind of have foothills that lead up towards the main mountains and at the mouth of the mountains where it all starts. And yet you get um, squeeze points, which aren't generally close to the divide. So my general tactic to try and avoid getting decked in the sea breeze is to just push away from the coast and get closer to the divide the closer you get to the divide i find that you've, the more chance you get of um, linking into some kind of convergence or it actually weakens out sometimes they do come all the way up the valleys all the way to the head but usually by then you should be able to soar it but yeah there are some valleys that you'd certainly want to stick away from because they get pretty narrow even at the mouth of them and for the length of them but well, well, tell me about your kit I, I, we should have prepared this in advance so you could look at a list or something, but maybe you've got it memorized. But what what what's your typical kit? And be real detailed about you know when you go off for three. You know your your typical kind of triangle bivy. 
Yeah, okay. So um, I, it does vary, um, as it probably does with everyone. But, um, it, you know, like if I'm like if I'm going for like three sort of three days, obviously in reach is a must. Like I wouldn't, and that's one of the things. And that, and just just as a side note, that's something that um, that has really changed in the community here, and probably um, internationally as well. Is that the the respect of using something like that, and how important it is to use it. So, me personally, if I get to the top of the mountain and I don't have my in reach, I don't go. It's just too much of a, I, you know, I slap myself on the wrist, but I go back. But anyway, yeah. So, in reach, and then I'll I'll, I'll fly with a tent. Uh, I've got a two two man tent. It's a big tent. It weighs a kilo. Um, it's an ultralight tent. It's a big Agnes, but it's got plenty of space inside. This is one of my more luxury items. I've definitely spent a bit of weight on having a nice tent. And uh, I'm with you, man. I like a yeah. big tent. I like to be able to sit up and totally. I, yeah, I dig it. it it's, I want a house. Yeah, exactly. I, it's my chateau. <laughs> it's chateau yeah. de Keller. Yeah. I, I like to have my gear out. I like to be able to pack up my gear inside my tent. I like to sit in there and make food and, you know, like for me, it's about having a good time. So if I'm not having a good time, I'm like, what am I up to? I'm suffering. I'm getting covered in like mildew and condensation and, you know, it's just I'm drying gear out and I can't. It's hard. So, yeah, I, I spent a bit of extra weight on the tent. I take a sleeping bag. Um, sometimes um, mid to late summer, I don't bother because wrapping up in the glider is absolutely fine. Um, but sometimes you just don't need it. Uh, and a yeah, thermarest or like an inflatable mattress, a lightweight inflatable mattress. And then what else do I take? Yeah, food, you take a stove, stove. Or you, just, yeah. you just make fire. No, no, I take a stove. I take, I've got one of those tiny um, BRS. You can get them on AliExpress and they weigh 28 grams and they just screw to the top of a, a butane, yeah. you know, the little gas canisters. Yeah, and MSR has one of those too. They're great. Yeah, super. They weigh nothing. And to be honest with you, like I bought it three years ago and I was expecting it to break, you know, almost immediately because it's pretty fragile, but it's lasted this whole time, which is incredible. Yeah, like, I've got the same one. Those are great. I've been using it for years. Yeah, so I use that and um, I've got a little 750 mil titanium cup um, and I take with me food-wise yeah, it kind of depends on the mood sometimes. And sometimes I don't take the stove. I just take like wraps and cheese and salamis and things. But um, more often, and especially this season, I've been taking uh, instant mashed potatoes being my go-to. It's super cheap, super easy. You don't have to wait for it to cook. And I just throw brie in it and salami and pesto and things like mm. that. Um, yeah, noodles and, and, and things like that. But the, I just really like having a hot meal. And I'm out the back. You know, it's something yeah. to do. It, it's enjoyable. So... Yeah, I like taking the stove. I can make coffee and, and, and things like that. Yeah, I often find on bivvies, you know, you can do the little morning sledder, but you mm. can also just sit there for four hours, yeah. let it warm up and have a really nice time. You know, yeah. if you've got your espresso, you know, your mm. little thing for mm -hmm. making some coffee and you got a little book or yeah. some podcasts or whatever downloaded, then I don't know. I like chilling. Not, not, it's not very often that I'll make a sled ride in order to walk up the next hill. Like I'll totally opt to, if I have to, if I'm, if I slope land the day before and I land halfway, I'll use that morning to walk to the top. So I've got the best chance and then I'll chill at the top, um, and mm. make breakfast and stuff like that. But if I'm already on the top, I'm just going to kick it and, you know, make some food and yeah, enjoy myself. Yeah, in terms of in terms of other kit, yeah, fly use the XC Tracer. I take a, a a lot of power. What I do for power, because mostly I'm just going for sort of two or three days, so I just take power banks. Um, I don't really mm. run the solar too much. Um, I have done it a bunch of times, but 
for me, like, I mean, if I was going for longer than three days, I'd take it. But here for New Zealand, especially to get more than three days of flyable weather in a row, usually you'll get three good days and then you'll get three bad days. Um, and by that time, usually I check out. Um, I've had my fun. Yeah. Um, so I just take power banks. And but to be honest with you, because all the camera gear, especially like last season wasn't so bad because I wasn't running a 360 camera. But this this year, I do about 10,000 milliamps per day. Um, and that's just because I run a 360 for the whole flight, mm. most of the trip. So that's that's you got that plugged in. You're not. You, I mean, it's the the camera's plugged mm. into your battery bank the whole time. Totally. Yeah, it would do maybe an hour and a half without the power bank, um, but it it just chews through power. Like it's um, yeah. It works so are you hard. using one of those kind of anchor 10,000 milliamp? Yeah. Battery, you know, lithium battery. Yeah. Exactly. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, usually, so you'll go. So you'll you'll take three or four of those with you on a trip. Yeah. So I've got one twenty thousand and a ten thousand, and I usually take that. Okay. If I if I've got solar, then some. Then I'll take like two tens. Um. But um. Yeah. It's um. Yeah. It's a bit of weight. A bit of weight there, just in batteries. But then there's a bit of weight in the camera gear too. You know, like there's definitely at least a kilo of um of camera gear. Let's see. I, I want to ask you about all that, but I, if we hit all the gear, any do you take? rain stuff i'm trying to think of anything sometimes yeah so i sometimes i take yeah i based off the forecast if i think it's going to rain or sometimes i start and it's raining because i'll spend a day hiking before so i'll take a poncho i've got one of those ultralight ponchos it just goes it sort of goes over the bag as well so i don't have to have a bag cover too and i find Mm -hmm. that just keeps my gear drier as well because even with the bag cover it just sort of runs down your back and then goes through the harness through the, the backpack um so i just use a i use a poncho um, but sometimes, mm. a lot of the time, I don't need to take it. I don't bother. Yeah, and 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 some and that's probably with all that all of that stuff with sort of three days of food. Um, the way I sit on the range is about a hundred percent of of the range. And for here, I found the flying um, being right at the top end is is pretty nice. I quite like that. Um, for, but personally, I optimally like seventy five percent. So if I'm not planning a, a a night out, if I'm not going camping, then the gear, the kit, sort of reduces. And I stop taking as much luxury items. You know, I might ditch the stove and just take muesli bars. I might, you know, ditch the sleeping bag. Sometimes I ditch a tent because I know there's huts. Um, and that's more for just when I'm cross, sort of cross-country flying. But I'll have a baseline of gear that I'll always take. That I know that, you know, I'm not maybe not going to have the best time, but it's going to be enough to keep me, you know, warm at night and able to walk and things like that. Trekking poles? Yeah, yeah, I love them. I need it. Okay. Well, I need all the help yeah. I can get, really. Um, so trekking yeah, I can't. Good. I can't even walk without trekking poles anymore. <laughs> and what about how? How do you handle navigation? What are you using for mapping? And down, are you downloading maps in advance? Or what, what are you doing for that? What kind of stuff do you have on your phone? So th- there's a really great app here. It's called the NZ Topo 50, and um, I'm really disappointed to find out that it's not an international because it's really great. It's just a topographic. Yeah, I've never heard of that. Oh, it, it's really, it's really good. Um, if anyone's coming to New Zealand to do bivy flying or cross country flying, download that app. It's about two gigabytes. Um, so it's quite a large app, but it basically has, um, it's the whole of the South and, and think the North Island, just completely downloaded and you can zoom in and it tells you where all the walking tracks are, where all the huts are and all the contour lines and rivers and bush and everything. It's, it's really good. Um, but uh, I mean, for that's when I'm on the ground and sort of, trying to find the best way to hike places and I'm sort of scoping out lines for missions and things like that. I use that a lot. Um, but to be honest with you, I also just spend a lot of time, um, outside of flying 
studying the areas and 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 getting to know the terrain and um yeah my my mates take the piss out of me a lot because i know the names of most of the mountains and it's because yeah, I, I hear that in your videos jeez <laughs> man this guy knows every single little pimple yeah it's funny i don't know maybe i've i've got some level of autism or something i, I don't know like i'm just <laughs> somewhere on the spectrum in terms of geography and uh I don't know when you're really passionate about something and you and you and you love something a lot and you you know I spend probably a little bit too much time looking at maps and dreaming up flights then you start learning all the names and it's um yeah I get a bit excited in the videos and I start naming everything I can see but yeah it's um I I, I learn the area this is a this is an I find this interesting I think most people won't but are you boots or tennis shoes boots yeah boots I'm boots okay. and I to be honest with you I think that's probably um, it, it's sensible for the terrain that that we have here because we don't have any trails really. Like there's some trails down in the valley floor which could be suitable for sort of trainers, but um, even those, a lot of the times you, you end up in a bog and you're going to go through the bog and then you got wet feet and and you know you're hiking up through tussock and you're getting stuff in in your shoes. I've just been boots, yeah, and I find them nice for top landings as well. Do you bring do you pair, bring a pair of real lightweight sandals or something with you just so you can get your feet out of the boots at night and stuff? No, it's pretty nice to just not. walk around barefoot. Totally, exactly. Yeah, I just take the boots off. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, nice. This will this will make you upset, knowing how much work you're putting into your editing and all that kind of thing. But all the the big films I've done, we've always had a sound engineer take care of what <laughs> you're doing really well. How are you getting such good sound? Oh, thanks. Um, yeah, no, I just I just run a lapel mic. Um, it took a bit of playing you run around. A what? A lapel, just a um, like a lap. Oh, really? Yeah. So oh, really? I'm out of the GoPro. So I have the. Um, this kind of helps with the editing too. So um, uh, the GoPro on the helmet, I've got a, it's a mic adapter um, that you can buy from GoPro, and then I run a Rode lapel mic from the helmet yeah. cam down the shirt, and I've got it on the chest, and it's got a, a wind fluffy on it, like a dead cat. And whenever I want to sort of do some narration or talking, I just turn on the camera, do some talking, have a look around, turn it off. And then when I go to edit later, I chuck it all in with the 360 footage and it matches up. And yeah, and a little bit of magic in Premiere, a couple of clicks, but it's it's the the real trick is using the lapel mic because um, it kind of sits on your chest. It's really good. Your sound yeah. is amazing, man. Thank you. It's, like, yeah. it's like you're talking to your audience. It's, uh, <laughs> that, that's something we have struggled with, but that's yeah. great. Oh, fantastic. I forgot to ask you wing and harness. That was the last bit of gear. So I've, uh, I'm flying the Zeolite GT, um, so the okay. lightweight two-liner. Um, which I, I totally love it, you know, like, and um, yeah, um, it's super solid and I, it's, it's got the performance that you can push into wind and I feel really safe on it. And yeah, it's a really great glider, easy to launch and land. That's, I think, actually the most important as well is that, that you can put it into tight spots and get it out of tight spots. So yeah, mm. I'm really happy with that. The harness, um, I was using the Osium and uh, for... Uh, you know, five, 600 hours. Then I did, um, the, uh, over the last season, I did the F race, um, which worked really well. I was, you know, like, and for, for what it's designed for, which is essentially the X Alps, it's quite lightweight. Anyways, 1.5 kilos. I thought I was going to destroy it in the first month, but it actually, you know, it held up really well. So that was great. And it had enough storage and, and that was cool. But now I've got the BV one, um, which is ozone's new harness specifically for bivouac flying. And I'm pretty stoked with that. It's, 
ticks all for me it ticks all the boxes it's got a ridiculous amount of storage and it's, it's clever enough that it's when all the storage it's got this huge storage on the back and it's all side loaded so you can inflate the back protection lie the glider on its side and just keep throwing stuff in until you can't get it in anymore and yeah it's inflatable back protection so it packs down really small um the really small pack volume and it, and it weighs two kilos so yeah I'm, i've only just got it i've been flying it for a week or so but so far pretty stoked yeah wow that's really nice that's always one of the things that makes me worry about bivy gear is when you you know typically you take the pad out mm. <laughs> to make all the room and then you know of course you're you're taking on some risks there too so it's quite nice to have a, mm. an airbag solution totally and and i think that's the future you know like especially for the bivouac and things like that because like you say typically everyone just takes the foam out and you just put the sleeping bag and things under under the seat where all the soft bit is but um well i've managed to get all my kit into this and had still have full back protection you could if you wanted to thick a sleeping bag you can still do that and then you just inflate the rest of the space so i think for, for this style of flying the inflatable back protection i think is the way forward in one of your videos, you were, and it was day two or something, and you were, you were, you know, you'd, you'd spent the night, and then the next day you rocked up at some comp that was going on. I thought that was really <laughs> neat that there was, you know, I was oh, I'm going to go see what's going on with these guys. Yeah. Are, are you a comp pilot as well? No, not really. I, competition's a tough one for me. Like, I, I, I enjoy the city. It's more of a social event, really, for me. And, and that's, um, it's great. It's great fun. Don't get me wrong. I really enjoy it. But I, I need to be careful sometimes because I, I am a little bit competitive and I want to be find myself motivated in the right ways. And when I find myself motivated too much by the competition, then I kind of, sometimes I lose the buzz a little bit. But, um, mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I've done a few comps here and there because I really I like racing. Racing your mates is heaps of fun. There's nothing better when you're side by side, you're full bar and you just shout at each other. Like that's that's awesome. I do do really love it. But yeah, there's some sides of competitions that I'm not I'm not too stoked about. But it's um, that day was that was just I was just trying to make the most of the weekend, I guess. And uh, I kind of managed yeah, that to was plot. cool. That'd be fun. Yeah. Hey, everybody. Yeah. Um, the you know, I haven't watched all your films, but I watched quite a few. It, most of the time, you're you're solo. I mean, you're you're often talking. Okay, well, I've, I've, I'm missing. You know, I, somebody that this guy was here, yeah. and I don't, I can't see him. I mean, obviously, you're taking off with other people, but mm. are most of your missions pretty solo oriented? Yeah, I'd say ninety percent. Yeah, I'm not very good at flying with other people. Sometimes you just get excited and fly off. But um, yeah, I often share the hike. You know, walk up together and share the drive and. You know, everyone sort of flies off in different, everyone, a lot of people have got different objectives and, uh, you know, sort of different levels of, of flying. And, um, but yeah, most of the time it's on my own, but sometimes we do fly together and camp together and it's, and it's pretty awesome. Uh, we just did a really cool trip. Actually, one of my favorite missions this season, we, we just took off from Coronet Peak and the objective was just to stick together. Um, we had a group of uh, four or five of us and um, we just wanted to stick together. It didn't matter how far we went, if we can fly 30Ks, that'd be amazing. Um, but just go as a group camping and that was actually a really memorable trip so yeah maybe more more of that to come what's your bivy season when does it start when does it end you know for people listening that are just stoked and want to come down for a couple weeks what would be the most reliable time of the year uh the most reliable i'd say sort of mid uh, sort of january through to end of february I mean, it's still reliable in, in in March as well, but obviously the days are starting to get a little bit shorter, so the potential is a little bit less. But this and and it starts to get a little bit more stable. 
But um, there's still some excellent days to be had in March. Um, the So, yeah, the longest days are obviously around the solstice, which is um, the 21st of December, and those are our biggest flights. But Dece- December, it can be a bit of a wild month. The last few years, it's been largely unflyable. Um, it starts getting thermic in sort of September time. And uh, October, you can get some pretty pretty exciting flying in as well, and, and November. But it really starts getting good sort of mid to end December um, if it's not blown mm. out. You know, January is the best, I think. The the island itself is, you know, it's it's not huge, um, but the but it there's a lot going on. I mean, in terms mm. of geography and the, like you said, the west and the east and yeah. um, how much. And I know that there's there's been quite a few people that have done kind of the island bivy, you know, the, mm. you know, covered the, the, the Southern Alps, yep. I guess, south to north usually. is they Are they usually going south to north? Uh, a bit of both. Mostly south to both. north, I think. Okay. When you look at the map and you're sitting in Queenstown, is mm. there just massive sections that haven't been flown or is most of the South Island kind of, you know, the, the flyable stuff has been done? Yeah, I mean, there's areas that have been flown more than others. Most of it has been flown. That there certainly are still large areas that no one has flown, um, or at least not on any with any sort of track log in the last twenty years. That's mostly because of its um, inaccessibility and um, there's just nowhere to land or take off. You know, like this large. So area. is that the west side? Yeah, there's parts of the west side um, and the south in the deep south and the fjord. Um, there's areas that are pretty much with yeah, it's almost like suicide flying. But um, but there are areas, especially um, just north of Mount Cook, where only a hand, you know, not many people have flown. They're pretty, you know, there's some people that have flown through there on these on these trips and nick nick's obviously um an og who's been in most places and um there's a few others but yeah um there's a lot of it is is still unflown and or very rarely flown you know you get though that app what's that app you know in the cross-country um planner where you can oh, the sky tracks when you can look at sky tracks and see where where people yeah. have been yeah you, I, sometimes i go on that and just go where's no one been before why not or why just, can't we go there just yeah. nothing yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow, that's that's pretty exciting. Anything being done on the North Island? I haven't done. Uh, yeah, there, there, there is. It's not. Uh, it's not as much flying going on up there, from what I understand. I personally haven't done any flying in the North Island. Um, it's not as mountainous. Um, it's more sort of a flatlandy sort of place. But they still do get some good flying up there. Um, but I mean, if you if you look at the what people are uploading to X Contest and that, I'd say eighty percent of the flights, maybe more, are all in the in the south, and and the majority of them are around the Queenstown Wanaka area. I, I I personally, and it's hard for me to say because I haven't done really any flying up in the North Island, but um, I think that the best area for for flying is in the Queenstown Wanaka area. And when, but they have that comp. Uh, what's the volcano? The the Mordor on the North Island. What's that place called? Oh. Like, fun, fun. Oh, you uh, put me on the spot here, Gavin. I'm going to be embarrassed in front of all my Kiwi mates. <laughs> <laughs> Mordor. Let's just call it Mordor. <laughs> right, right, right. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, uh, I don't know. I've never again, I was there, there before my flying years, but it's. Uh, but don't they have a comp there? What's that place called? I want to call it Fongeray, but that's way farther north. No, uh, yeah. That's cool. I'm going to embarrass myself. It's probably Taranaki or Taupo or something like that. Yeah, oh, there you go. Yeah, it's Taupo. Yeah. Taupo, Taupo is the town. And then Taranaki's. Can the, we edit the, that so right. that it sounded like I knew what I was talking about? <laughs> no, absolutely. That, that stays in. It's all right, man. You're still a Brit. You're still a Brit. Yeah, You're okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
But um, because they have a con. Isn't that where New Zealand Nationals typically is, or is it down uh, where you are? No, typically. Um, well, yeah, we didn't have it this year, but um, it moves around. Um, okay. I've not heard of a comp being there. Probably was, but um, we've had it in Nelson a lot. Nelson's a pretty consistent place for comp flying. We've had it in Wanaka as well. That was pretty exciting. Um, but yeah, it does move around. Yeah. Mm. Mm. yeah. So this season is just ending, uh, mm. for you, I guess, down there, but what's, what do you start dreaming of this winter? What are you going to be thinking? You know, where, what does next year look like? I mean, hopefully things are going to be opening back up again for you guys and you can yeah. escape and stuff, but exactly. Well, we're, we're, we're being set free. In fact, we've been set free now, um, which is awesome. Mm. So for, for me personally, I'm going to be, I'm going to be off to Europe. I've never flown in the Alps before. So yeah, I'm going to go and see my family in England because there's a long overdue visit. Um, I'm really looking forward to doing some flying back in the UK um it's gonna be yeah I'm, that'll be quite special for me because obviously i've done i've flown for years and i've um, grew up in england and i've always seen it as this two-dimensional place and it'd be pretty cool to go back and fly and land in my village and go to the pub oh dude, you're gonna love the lakes i mean yeah. it looks a lot like what you're flying down there the, the lakes are spectacular and it again you can top land anywhere it's all just tussock and grass yeah it's yeah cool. i'm pretty stoked about that and yeah, so I'm going to do a month there and then I'm going to go to Europe and fly in the Alps and go to Switzerland and France and Austria, go see some friends. And yeah, I'm pretty stoked to go and fly there because I've heard it's pretty scenic. Oh, you're going to love it. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be fantastic. I mean, you're spoiled, but you'll you'll love it there too. Yeah. Um, okay. I got you distracted talking about this other stuff, but I want to hear more about how you're filming. So you've got the GoPro, you've, you've obviously got one on a stick. Are mm-hmm. you doing, you switching it back and forth between the kind of POV on your helmet and Putting it yeah. on, you, just, you got two. Yeah, so I run the 360 camera for the whole flight. Um, that means that I can use that footage for um, hyperlapses, and um, which you get some quite nice visualizations from the cloud formations and when you're running cloud streets. And uh, and then I run the GoPro on, on the helmet. And it, yeah, like with the running the 360 the whole time, it's, it's definitely, um, it's a huge file size. I mean, it films at 5.7K um, for sometimes seven, eight hours. And it's it's a, quite a bit of work to process all of that footage sometimes. But it, out, it outputs at 1080. Um, and so mm-hmm. I'll sort of keyframe all of that that footage in the direction that I want. And, and then I'll just link it with the GoPro footage and kind of sort of do jump cuts between the two. So um, it also serves a purpose. The GoPro serves a purpose for the audio as well as um as sort of a point of view yeah it is are the videos is this become a channel or has this become any kind of a, a a money maker for you does it does it help pay for your passion yeah not 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 um in the sense of my time um that goes into it no it is definitely a passion project uh but <laughs> i mean it, it it's it's still a very small small channel and um you know um it, it, it at the moment it's just sort of started paying for the money that I put in for subscriptions on a monthly basis to, to create the videos. But outside of that, not really. It's just something that I do for fun. Because they're really instructional. I mean, there, there's, uh, you know, it was, it was quite fun. I mean, I, I kind of figure I, you know, I know a lot about baby. I've done a lot of baby flying and stuff, but I, I really enjoyed the, uh, the pace, the stoke, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you you seem like a consummately optimistic kind of happy bloke, and so you're Thanks. you're having a really good time out there. Uh, 
I, I agreed with with Miles, our editor, is that man, you got to watch this guy. He's having a blast. Yeah, it seems like thanks, you're having man. a lot of fun. But it's also I appreciate the instructional aspect of it. Um, it seems to come quite natural to you. Yeah, I mean, I mean, as much as I love love flying paragliders and doing bivy flights and and that, I also love talking about it. So I kind of <laughs> it ends up in the videos where I just end up ram- rambling on. But um, yeah, no, I I I I really love it. I'm 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 really passionate about it. And when you're passionate about something, then it's quite easy to sort of put that kind of effort in, in, into stuff. And it, it really, for me, like it, it's awesome to see the stoke out of people. And, you know, when, you know, some people, they, they, they take something away from it and they realize that, you know what, this is possible. I can do that. Look, he's doing it. I can see how he's doing it. I can see the video. I know what it looks like out there. I kind of get a feel for the experience and that. And, and totally that's something that I took away from, from Nick's videos. Um, when I was learning, like I was watching videos of Nick flying, out the back and I'm like wow like that's so cool like I want to do that like and I mm. I kind of understand what it looks like and it's not so overwhelming when you do go and do it you're like I kind of already had a feel for it because I've watched next videos a hundred times it's you know so it's yeah if I can share the stoke and you know put some fire in people to go out there and get amongst it then that's just that's what it's all about really what are your personal goals you you said that uh yeah with flying and and maybe otherwise, maybe with filmmaking. Yeah, um, I'd love to. I mean, with 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 flying, I'd love to just keep progressing and just keep. Um, I'd, I really, at the moment, the the forefront is just go and fly new places. I love flying in New Zealand; it's spectacular. But I've you know I've poured a lot of energy and and sort of into into flying here now. I'm pretty excited to go and fly somewhere where I don't know the names of all the mountains. So, do a bit of traveling, go and see some new places, um, fly some new spots, meet some new people, and you know and um i'll keep making videos for sure um keep collecting collecting footage i'd love to keep improving um the videos and the the video quality and um it's uh yeah that's something i'd like to expand i'd love to try and do some bigger um sort of expedition style bivy flying that would probably be the the, next personal goal for me is to try and go to somewhere that i haven't been before and just go really experience it by going for, for some longer trips maybe as a part of a team or something like that and try and capture that and present that as maybe more of a longer form video rather than just sort of short evolved bib trips. We, we had an email exchange a while back and he said, you know, I, I apologize cause I couldn't, I couldn't make it or something. And, and he said, oh, it, it's no problem, man. I've, I've got eight terabytes of footage to go through. <laughs> and I kind of laugh, you know, yeah. we had, I think with Alaska, we had 60 something hours, yeah. you know, which turns into a 50 minute film. And it was, it was that kind of footage. It was that kind of, file size because they're shooting with red cameras and stuff but man yeah. you are shooting a lot of i mean eight terabytes that's a lot yeah that's a ton it, of footage it, the, the, it's it's mostly down to the 360 because it just it chews data and it, and it chews power um but yeah it, mm. it's a lot and it's a lot to go through you know i've gotten faster at it but it still take takes time but yeah i've got i've got plenty of videos to get through i'm just uh slowly chipping away at them but uh i was Give give the audience an idea. So for one of your five minute films, are or some of them are twenty and they're amazing. They're very very watchable. How much how much time is editing and goes into one of those? Oh, I think the fastest time I did one was like one full twelve hour day. Um, and the oh, long that's not bad. Yeah, and the, the, then sometimes the longer ones will take sort of five days. You know, you know. <laughs> Just, you know, and it's a, this is the, the thing. There's not a straight answer to that because it's a rabbit hole, as I'm sure you're aware. Oh, you can always make it better. Oh, you just, at some point, and I used to, I used to put a time limit on myself. I used to say, okay, right, once you get to this point, just stop. 
you know, and move on to the next one and just try to keep improving. But um, when I'm trying to constantly keep improving, you end up just spending more and more time. And and then sometimes I'm just like into an animation that I'm trying to get perfect. But yes, it's it's a bit of a rabbit hole. Yeah. Yeah. At times. <laughs> okay. On that note, I'm going to ask you one of the survey questions that we got last year. Uh, has flying made other aspects of your life better or worse? <laughs> Uh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a single dude. I've got no kids, so I can't really say that the family life has, <laughs> has been affected. So yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, it might, might not be able to, buddy, with that kind of editing. <laughs> no, no, exactly. Nobody's I mean, put yeah, up with that. or may, maybe it's just, you know, that's one of the reasons as one of the many reasons I'm single, I'm sure that I don't have time, <laughs> but, uh, um, no, I, I, I can't think, I mean, I, yeah, my career in, cookery probably suffered because i quit my job but yeah other than that it's been really fulfilling and, and an amazing experience so yeah i wouldn't swap it for anything are you a chef yeah i worked as a chef for about 10 years um which which wow actually, my last podcast was with a chef that's amazing oh, there you go. back to back yeah crazy yeah um it's actually huh. a not bad and not bad of an industry to be in if you want to do a lot of um, flying and cross-country flying especially if you work in a place that is somewhat flexible and has a bit of a bigger team and you can swap your shift around but like oh you know the, the previous years i'll you know go out and i'll fly i used to actually have such a laugh with this a and it, it helps when you don't mind so much if you do get the sack but um like taking the challenge on if i've got work at five o'clock and i'll go up coronet peak and i'll try and nut out a 100k triangle and get back and then go to work and uh and you spend the whole day and the whole from the minute I did this a few times and it was it was really great fun. You take from the minute you take off, you can't bomb out until you make it home again. If you bomb out, you're missing your shift. And you know, you spend five, six hours flying around the back, you get back and you get to work and you're 15 minutes late. And like, how was your day? I'm like, oh, you guys have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> so, it was better than yours, I yeah, guarantee it. <laughs> totally, yeah. But you know, like, you know, it does work. Even if like I run out from like because we've got a gondola in Queenstown, and if I'm working the day shift, I can, you know, sort of run out, go and do an acro lap off the gondola and go back to work. And you know, that's 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 actually perfect. But um yeah, yeah, did that for a while, but now, yeah, and I'm flying a bit of tandem now, and a uh, bit of a part-time job. So the back to the back to the bivy stuff. I mean, the terrain the terrain does look pretty tenable. You know, you can top land anywhere. The valleys look pretty nice. You know, it, it seemed kind of Alps esque, obviously without all the lifts, although you, mm -hmm. you would at Coronet. But you know, it, it seems pretty tame. But what would you what would what were some of the things early on that you know, maybe caught you out a little bit or what would be the things that, you know, for folks that are listening that haven't yet done their first bivy, what are the skills that you feel like are kind of baseline? What are the, what are the prerequisites before you should really kind of get into bivy, if any? Yeah. I mean, specifically for New Zealand, I'd say fitness um, would be, be the key one because you've got to do a bit of walking if it doesn't go to plan. I mean, obviously that doesn't make a difference so much elsewhere. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Just, uh, just keeping the expectations low, and then you know, when you, when you, because if you have to, if you're way too ambitious, you know, I want to do 100 k's a day, and I want to make it to here, that you, you're, you're missing the point of it. Like, you know, mm. so it, it's, it's about the trip, it's about the journey, it's about the adventure. So, um, you know, you get fired up for just doing a sled ride and going camping, and then if you get a thermal, then wow, this is just next level. Um, you know, and I'd, I'd recommend anyone who if, who haven't been bivy flying before is just take it down to its most simplest form in the beginning. Just walk up a hill, 
camp at the top and fly down in the morning. You'll figure out so much just from doing that, where my gear fits in the bag, what I need, what I don't need, you know, and all, all of that sort of thing. Um, yeah, I think that's a really good thing to do as this, but don't, don't try and run before you can walk basically, um, is, is a good move, but yeah, also just, and knowing where you're going, having a good idea of the terrain and the topography and which value is good, which one's bad and having maps and, and an in-reach if you don't have phone signal, like having the right gear. Yeah. Being prepared. Will you be doing a lot of baby flying when you're in the Alps or is this more friends trip and flying, you know, the established uh, yeah, sites? Yeah. A bit, a bit of both. Um, I'd, I'd, you know, I'd like to definitely going to be doing some baby flying for sure. Um, what that objective is, is a, a bit unknown at the moment. Like I know we're meeting a group of mates in Annecy um, in June and we're going to try and sort of fly East. Um, but I wouldn't mind just being a bit of a paragliding tourist, you know, like I just want to fly to the, <laughs> I want to go to Mont Blanc. I want to go to the Eiger. I want to go to the Dolomites and maybe I'll just do a zigzag around with my backpack. And yeah, I, I, I'm really, I'm looking forward to flying some acro as well and going and flying the gondolas over the lakes. Cause that's something that we struggle with here. Like getting over, over water um, uh, is, is quite hard because we've got lots of lakes and we've got mountains and, but we don't have any roads really that go to the tops of the mountains, especially near the lakes. And we started towing recently, which has been epic. That's been really good, but yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to just sort of use, using all of the facilities available in the Alps and top landing at a I've heard they've got huts that sell beer on the tops <laughs> of the mountains, which is just incredible. They're everywhere. That's it's, unreal. Uh, it's, yeah, it's it's uh it's there's it's very styly, man. <laughs> yeah, so maybe I'll just take a credit card, I'll leave all the tent and stuff at home and just, you know, go live the life. It's a pretty. It's a pretty good place to just have a credit card and, and have a really, really good time. Yeah. I'm going to ask you just a few questions here as we wrap things up from this from this survey. There's, people gave me a bunch of questions that I I find just really fun. Mm. Um, what would you like to see more of in our sport? Um, yeah. Um, it just well, initially, more people flying, like just just mm. the general growth. Um, you know, I don't know about you, but sometimes I, I look at people, I think, think people, why, why, are you, why isn't everyone doing this? It doesn't make sense to me. Like, this is incredible. Like, what's <laughs> going on? I talk to people in the gut when you're hitchhiking and they don't even know what it is, you know, which is, it's fun, oh, but yeah. you're like, well, go out and learn and go. Um, so yeah, initially that, but also I think, um, more people get, getting, uh, better, better handling of their wing, uh, handling skills. And whether that be in form of acro or training or just practice, you know, like, um, you know, like getting getting more people to be be more in control of the glider. And I think that that will really skill people up and give people confidence. And, yeah, I think a lot of people neglect that, which is um, which I think is super important, you know, being able to you yeah. know do whatever you want with the wing, fight forwards, backwards, whatever, you know, and really be sure of when you can. You know, you know, when you've got to put your hands down, when you need to put the hands up, you know, you watch these, these you watch videos of people having muck ups and, you know, a lot of the time you look at it and you're like, that's just such an easy fix. You could have just done, you know, done this with your hand and, you know, it's just a yeah. shame. Um, so, yeah, I'd like it to see more people do that. Yeah. Yeah. Biggest aha moment you've had in flying in the last year, let's say. Um, yeah, I, I guess the most, yeah, for, for me, in my my flying it'd be flying flying convergences and, and understanding what they are how to recognize them um it's something that we get quite often here um and it's something that we 
need to learn more. Let's, it's really good spot here for flying sailplanes. Um, it's a bit of a mecca up in America, and these guys and I've started and I actually kind of like stop like got this knowledge from you know you get you learn this stuff from them. But I fly a lot on Airband, and often I'll be on their channel, and they'll go, "There's a beautiful convergence setting up here." I'm like, "Oh, where is it?" And then you you know, and I sort of start figuring more of it out and understanding more of it. But when I can sort knowing when to turn and when you don't need to turn. And when when you, when I found a convergence line and it runs for 30Ks, I'm like, boom, that's it. We're on. And I don't have to turn and I can just keep going. And that really extends the day. And I've done that. And and knowing when I can climb up the sides of clouds, and and, and I've done that a, a, f- a few times a season in the same sort of places. And I've started to go like, ah, oh, this is this magic thing that just gives me this 30K boost like Sonic the Hedgehog. You know, I'm just like zip along and I don't have to turn. So yeah, like mm. understanding when I have to turn and when I don't, and using those lines, it's, it's been a bit of a. Lot are you seeing that? Are you seeing these set up? Because SkySight is is mm. quite good at picking out yeah. convergence because they you know, obviously it's built for sailplanes. Are you yeah. are you finding that's mapping pretty well to what you're experiencing in the real world? Yeah, uh, absolutely, yeah, and that's 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 a cool. that's a part of um, my you know pre-flight forecasting sort of plan is looking um not only at where the good thermals are and where they're, they're they're high and strong but also where the convergence line is and that's something to look at with the sea breeze where it's going to come through and where they're going to set up but um often sky site it might you not might not be exactly where it says it is but it will be close enough and it might not be there quite on time you know but you get an idea if there's a you know if they say like oh there's going to be a big there's a big patch here that it's likely going to converge then it's usually it's usually there and within half an hour of an hour um but um it's 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 more as well especially for specifically flying here is understanding where they commonly occur looking out for them and understanding okay well that's where it normally happens and then you sort of get to the day and you see the cloud and you're like oh that's it yeah cool and go for it um yeah but skysight does a good job of of forecasting it which is pretty cool and some of it are really small as well because you get what's quite common here is that you know just on one side of um, one of the range, the air mass is completely different. You can be cruising up at nine thousand feet up the Shotover, and then you get into the Matuki, which is the next valley behind out of the Shotover, and it's down at five. But it's where those two meet and over those ranges is where you get some of the best climbs, and it's quite spectacular because you're flying up at nine thousand feet, looking down at cloud, but it's sort of looking at that that imaginary line. In between the two and and skysight picks that quite well hmm. amazing yeah that's cool best tip you've gotten from a mentor or buddy instructor somebody you've flown with over the years the, the thing something you've kind of gone back to again and again just man that was good advice yeah um i guess um a lot of people have told me just to slow down and and um don't you know like it, there's other days you know, like there's no need to push it on the gnarly days. If it's not the day, it's not the day. And there's going to be, we're in this for the long haul, right? So yeah, you don't need to, I've been out and pushing it on days that I probably shouldn't have been. And I've had some nice flights. They've been pretty exciting and been too windy, but um, you know, like there's 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 no need to, to keep pushing it because there are better days to be had. Let's, let's end on this one, Benjamin. Um, what should beginners avoid? Trying to run before you can walk, really, I think is, is is a good way to put it down. Just trying to do too much too soon, um, and not and sort of skipping uh, steps, you know. And that's 
and that can be hard sometimes, especially when you're flying with people that are better than you and going places that you know are really exciting and you want to go, and and top landing in places that uh, are hard to do and trying to do that before before you're capable. Um, yeah, don't run before you can walk. And there's there's a there's a structured uh, there's somewhat of a, a route to progression that people need to follow and it needs to be respected. And you know you can't you can't you can't teach experience. You, you know, do the hours. You know, I mean. I think a lot of people now are, are much better at not jumping up wing classes too soon. Um, certainly here, I think that's quite well respected. Um, but yeah, you, you kind of need to take it easy in the beginning because that's when you, you're really most vulnerable. Because you, you I've heard you say this on the podcast a number of times, you, you don't know what you don't know. Um, mm. But yeah, I mean, and they, when you're close to the ground, that's when you're most at risk. So take it easy. Like I, I, mm. I broke my back last year. Um, and that was that was really stupid. It was completely complacent. Um, it was the most minor of back breaks that you can get. Like I managed to sort of walk away and fly out, but um, yeah, I had a pretty rough landing and um, just trying to force it in. And when you're close to the ground, you can you can really hurt yourself. So you're just top landing. Were you on a bivy then, or what, yeah. what happened? Yeah, yeah. So I was I was on a bivy flight. Um, really nice forecast i was pretty excited um i was set up to go for three days i was in one of my favorite parts of the of, of the island and was planning to go and sort of fly up past mount cook and i got stuck in the <clears throat> on the Nauman range which is on in the hopkins and i decided that i was gonna i was gonna slope land and camp there for the night um which in hindsight was probably not the best move because it was three o'clock and there's still plenty of day left like i probably could have chosen somewhere else but i found this really cool campsite and it was right on a cliff edge beautiful grass like someone had mown it like it was awesome and i really wanted to land there um but if i didn't land there because it was on a cliff edge then i'd be down in the valley floor and to get back up would be hours of hiking so i kind of forced myself into this i pushed too hard and um i overshot it um and i well i was overshooting it and uh instead of you know I could have totally just gone up and slope landed and put my glider in some bushes and it would have been a pain in the ass, but it would have been totally safe. Um, but I just start flapping in. I start flapping in and I'm, I'm loaded. I'm, I'm up right at the top of the range, maybe even slightly over. And, um, and I, you know, you flap in and sometimes you just goes into a little parachute or and you lose three meters and it's all good. But this time it didn't, it spun and um, my legs went up, glider went back and I just landed on the flat of my back like on the top of my torso. Um, so I skipped all the protection and just really knocked, knocked the wind out of me. Um, so I, I fell from like three meters just onto my back. Um, I was super winded, laid down for, for, for a bit, for like half an hour thinking, oh, maybe I'll just get better. I'll camp here and I'll keep going tomorrow. And that slowly realization um, uh, did, didn't pan out. So I decided to, I could still fly. Um, and this is a mistake. And this is if, if this is a takeaway for anyone, like I should have, in hindsight, should have hit my SOS, my inReach, um, hands down. And if I was put in that same position again, I would have just hit it. But I was in a sort of a state of denial more than anything. Like it's January, it's the middle of the season. You know, I'm having a great time and I, I don't want to be injured. So I kind of like refuse to believe it. <laughs> So, yeah. so I'm not, <laughs> so I'm not injured. It didn't happen. Right? Right. I can walk this off. Um, so I flew, I, I managed to fly off and decided I was going to fly down and, uh, go down to the road and get myself out of there. And it wasn't, it wasn't until, and this is stupid because there's so much stuff going through your head at the time, I guess. And but it wasn't until I took off again, then I'm in the air and I'm like, Oh, 
what if I have another bad landing? I'm going to be really stuffed, you know? And that's that's the mm. reason you should, you know, like I can't, I couldn't have walked down and I could have just hit the button and, and the, the services here are really great. You know, there probably would have been a helicopter there in less than 30 minutes and they don't charge you. It's an emergency. They just take you out and take you to hospital. And it was, it was a no brainer. I should have done it. And luckily I had a good friend, Jesse Dew, AKA the retrieve King came and picked me up. He drove for hours. So yeah, thanks Jesse for that. He drove up and picked me up and I went to hospital the next day. Yeah. Fa- uh, funny story. Yeah. So yeah, no, sorry. I've got to put this in. I got to the hospital because I, I just had a sore back and I slept it off and I took some painkillers and I, I thought, well, I should go. I still pretty sore. I'll go into the hospital and I'll get it. I'll get it checked out. And, um, I, I walked in there and I said, you know, what, what happened? You know, I, you know, had a hard landing on my paraglider and obviously I've got it on video. So I show them the video and, uh, they're like, Oh, that, looked, oh, that was pretty, you should lie down, lie down. I'm like, oh, all right, I'll lie down. <laughs> like, do you want some painkillers? I'm like, Oh no, I'm not too bad, but yeah, okay. I'll have, I'll, I'll like, yeah, give me some painkillers and painkillers. And they go, right, we're going to get you an x-ray. And they x-rayed me. And I came, they came out of the x-ray place and they came rushing in and they're like, don't move. <laughs> Pin you what down. It, yeah. Like do not move. Lie down. Don't move your neck. Like, and I'm like getting up and looking, I'm going, what do you mean? They're like, lie down, don't move. So all of a sudden I'm really worried, you know, I'm like, well, what have I done? And they go, you've fractured three vertebrae in your back and uh, you need to get a CT scan immediately. So just don't move. And I'm like, geez, I walked in here. Am I going to go out in a wheelchair? Like, what are you on about? Like, I, you know, I, I walked for hours. I'm, I, I'm pretty sure I'm okay. And I got, got the CT scan done and they came back and they're like, oh, okay. So you, you said you broke your back before, right? I'm like, no. And they're like, oh, well, you have because one of those is old and two of them are new. Oh, is it two of the two are old? One, one of them's new. Two of them are old. Uh, Whoa. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, really? They're like, yeah, yeah, two of them. Are. We had a specialist look at them, and yeah, you've got two fractured vertebrae that are that are previous breaks, and you've got one new one. So yeah, you have broken your back. Sorry about that, and yeah, no flying for a while. <laughs> but and I'm like, they're like, have you taken some wax before? I'm like, well, yeah, I guess. I mean, skateboarding and snowboarding, and you know, I've crashed my speedwing once, wow. but no more than I'd had to like sit anything out. But the doctor thought I was some kind of lunatic that's just been shrugging off spinal fractures and carrying on with life, you know, like it's, <laughs> you know, so that was a bit of a, a shock or a surprise, but yeah, funny story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard quite a few like that where, you know, you'll come into the hospital and you'll, you'll, people will, you know, say what's happened and they'll say, okay, we'll just sit over there. And then, you know, then they come running out yeah. even before the X-ray because the doctor. W- wait, what was the what was the cause of the trauma? Wait a minute, they were paragliding. Yeah. No, they can't. Don't tell them to sit down. <laughs> get them on there. Get them lie down. Yeah, yeah it's funny, eh? <laughs> like, I'm like, totally well, I'm glad mad. that worked out. Yeah. There, there's a really good. There's two really good lessons there. One is from my own experience. I had a pretty bad crash this spring before the X Alps here on a bivy. I was training for the race and and i've put this in the show a bunch of times so i don't need to redo it here but you know when i crashed i was so thankful to have my first aid kit because you know i could i knew it was going to be hours before i could get help and i could calm myself down one i had oxygen which most people aren't going to have it you know we do here because we get so high and that was nice and then having the first aid kit was great to just be able to moderate the pain that i knew what was coming yeah just to help you know, keep everything calm. Obviously the inReach was totally key. You know, I would have been completely hosed without that. So yeah. that, that was also a really good lesson. Um, 
And then the other is flapping. You know, I, yeah. I'm still just shocked when I see my 20 in 2015, mm. I top landed at and, and Sebastian Huber and I did the exact same mm. thing. I top landed plan Faye and you know, just pissed you know, I just, I had just bombed out on the backside on an epic day and, uh, and climbed up really fast and launched in a bunch of stinging nettle. Mm. So I was in a bad mood and I, and it was a really good day. And so mm. I wanted to land and get away immediately. And the first time I blew it, I was too high and went back out and tried to come back in. And it was, you know, it's anybody knows plan Fay. I mean, it's that famous launch above Annecy, but it's pretty narrow, surrounded by trees. And there's a lot of wind coming in. It's directly coming in. And, you know, you could do, I mean, back then we didn't even know the fly on the wall move. Uh, and not sure I would have been able to do that there anyway with that much wind. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I've seen Maxime do it on his Instagram where he just comes in there, just, you know, and yeah. just stuffs it. It's amazing. But man, you yeah. blow that. You're, you're in a major, you're in a lot of pain. Yeah. But anyway, I forced it and spun it late. And luckily I was low enough yeah. that it was a non-event. But it's same kind of same as Sebastian Huber did. But mm -hmm. I think we forget when we're flapping that we're we're getting down. You know, each progressive flap, unless you let the wing completely fly again, which yeah. you know the acro pilots are really good at, and mm -hmm. that your 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 ground speed is is terrifyingly close to stall speed, and yeah. you you forget that, and it's just it feels like all that pressure is there. You know, each time and. And suddenly that stall point, and it's usually a spin, that's what usually gets people, that yeah. stall point is is much different than what you know it to be. Mm -hmm. um, and I I learned after that, watching Carlucho at, at the Menarca in Mexico one year, you know, those guys, he learned in, in Cart no, not Cartagena, um, Caracas in Venezuela and mm -hmm. they've got to put when they when they, their landing zones are usually surrounded by barbed wire and they're tiny mm -hmm. and so they've got to literally come in over the top and just come in like a helicopter mm -hmm. and and I I finally learned how to properly flap watching him by he would basically completely go into tail slide it was it was that deep yeah. of a flap just full stall and you know snap the wing way back but then completely let it go again, yeah. you know, just completely let it. So it's, it's, it's constantly going from not flying to fully flying before he'd hit it again, rather than these little yeah. like tink, tink, yeah. you see everybody do. Yeah. And they're really dangerous those, you know, and I, I really thought I had flapping down and it, mm. watching that video is, is terrifying. Cause it's just, what was I thinking? You know? Um, so it's really something that so good to practice with a ton of height and really do, you know, like you're doing with acro and stuff. And I'm sure that's what caught you too. Is you, you know, you're trying to force it in and, Oh, I, I'm just going to, I'm just going to come straight down here and yeah, I've, you know, I've we've got to keep, we've got to keep our pressure up. Totally. Like you know, for that whole situation, I've got absolutely nothing to blame except myself and um, it's totally avoidable. And my, my approach to top landing now is totally different and i rare, i very rarely use that technique anymore and and yeah. i've found alternative methods which i think are a lot better and, and i think it's taking like what, what we see um kriegel and maxime and and patrick doing these incredible um speed landings downwind and stuff, uphill, which, uphill yeah uphill. totally which is really impressive but i mean we don't have to all go full-blown full full bar nose down in flying the wall landings but use that same technique 
to a lesser level and it still works really well you know just you, it's like when you're flying tandems you need some energy to get a good flare and if you can use the same sort of um thing when you're when you're top landing your solo is at the very least holding brake this is the actually the worst top, top landings and the most common mistake i see people do is that they're, they're flying in with lots of brake on lots of brake lots of lots of brake and then boom they flare and they stuff it in and it hurts but if you're holding brake and you can just let it shoot, build some energy, pops up, flare, boom, beautiful. I mean, it's all about having a good approach. But yeah, flapping, I, I, it, it's a really hard thing to do well. And it's a fine line that you run between stalling your glider and, and smacking in on your back, you know, like it's. Yeah. And I think, I think that the tricky part there too, is even if you do practice with a ton of height and you're, you know, in, in more of a quote unquote controlled environment or an SIV or that kind of thing, you, that's different than when you add the perspective of the ground, you mm -hmm. know, when you, when you yeah. add the ground and the postage stamp that you're trying to do it in, mm -hmm. then suddenly it's, you know, you, you may have the pretty good muscle memory of doing it at 3000 feet over. But when you're, when you do it like that, it's, just, it's very easy to just quickly go, holy shit, I've overshot like yeah. what you did, you know? Um, so yeah, it's, but that it's a great lesson because there's, there's so many times where we get, I've done it a million times myself where you get fixated on a spot where you just, mm -hmm. you've got the exit still. Totally. Fuck it, man. You missed it. Yeah. Go again, go land somewhere else, you know, and land somewhere else. And that's totally it. And, and that's something that I fell victim to because I was so fixated on landing in that one spot. I wanted to land there and I'm going to land there. And I just completely forced it when it wasn't possible. Um, the only way to get in there was to stall the wing, which didn't go well for me in it, in its bun. Mm. So like, just go and put it on the slope in a bush and pull your glider out. You're going to walk away from it. You know, there's no point in forcing it. And, um, it's so much better to go around, have another go, land on the slope somewhere. Like it's, you know, trying to put it on a flat spot where it looked cool. It's just, yeah. And that's the thing. I think a lot of people, they see other people flapping and they think, well, oh, that looks pretty cool. I should be flapping. That's, that's something that we should be doing. And if you don't fully understand what you're doing there, then, you know, it's going to, it's going to end. In yeah. It's pretty high. It's pretty high risk. I, I have a, a lot of appreciation for, for wing speed, you know, as opposed to ground speed. I think that we've talked about this too, that when you're, when, when coastal ridge soaring pilots get into the mountains, they can often get in a lot of trouble because they're used to flying very slowly because they're flying in a lot of wind. So mm -hmm. they've got a lot of pressure in their wing and they're flying slowly. And so they, you, you just forget that that relationship is not the same when you don't have the wind. Um, and suddenly, you know, well, how, why did my wing collapse? I was flying the same speed that I normally do. Yeah, mm. but you didn't have the airspeed. And so, mm. um, I, I, you know, pressure is an important thing. Like you said, having that, you know, having flare authority mm -hmm. means having energy. You mm. got to have energy. I think energy is incredibly important in mm. aviation totally. <laughs> in general. Yeah, 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 yeah. Benjamin, great place to end. Um, thanks for sharing that story with us. Glad that no did work out too badly and it sounds like sounds like that was a pretty good ending for all that and got to have yeah. some laughs about it in the hospital which is good too yeah yeah no it didn't turn out too bad in the end it was i spent a couple of weeks hanging up in the harness at home and now I, I was back to it but yeah <laughs> just more editing time That's yeah funny. exactly yeah that that that's it yeah i could do with some more of that but no thanks gav thanks for having me on honestly i'm honored and um please if you come to new zealand hit me up and we'll go do some bivy flying it's 
just spectacular. Uh, I'd love to, man. Your, your, your videos are just phenomenal. We'll have all that in the show notes for all of you listening. Please go check them out. They're really amazing. Uh, I loved them. And, uh, and have fun in the Alps and on your trip to the UK. And thanks for sharing your time, man. I appreciate it. Thanks. Awesome. Cheers, man. If you find the cloud-based mayhem valuable, you can support it in a lot of different ways. You can give us a rating on iTunes or Stitcher, however you get your podcast. That goes a long ways and helps spread the word. You can blog about it on your own website or share it on social media. You can talk about it on the way up to launch with your pilot friends. I know a lot of interesting conversations have happened that way. And of course, you can support us financially. This show does take a lot of time, a lot of editing, a lot of storage and music and all kinds of behind the scenes cost. So if you can support us financially, all we've ever asked for is a buck a show. And you can do that through a one-time donation through PayPal, or you can set up a subscription service that charges you for each show that comes out. We put a new show out every two weeks. So, for example, if you did a buck a show and every two weeks, it'd be about $25 a year. So way cheaper than a magazine subscription, and it makes all of this possible. Uh, I do not want to fund this show with advertising or sponsors. We get asked about that uh, pretty frequently, but I for a whole bunch of different reasons, which I've said many times on the show, I don't want to do that. I don't like having that stuff at the front of the show. And I also want you to know that these are authentic conversations with real people. And these are just our opinions, but our opinions are not being skewed by sponsors or advertising dollars. I think that's a pretty toxic business model. So I hope you dig that. Um, you can support us. If you go to cloudbasedmayhem.com, you can find the places to support. You can do it through patreon.com forward slash cloudbasedmayhem. If you want a recurring subscription, you can also do that directly through the website. Uh, we've tried to make it really easy, and that will give you access to all the bonus material, little video casts that we do and extra little uh, nuggets that we find in conversations that don't make it into the main show, but we feel like you should hear. We don't put any of that behind a paywall. If you can't afford to support us, then just let me know and I'll set you up with an account, of course, that'll be lifetime. And hopefully you're being in a position someday to be able to support us. But you'll find all that on the website. Uh, all of you who have supported us or even joined our newsletter or bought Cloud-Based Mayhem merchandise, t-shirts or hats or anything, you should be all set up. You should have an account and you should be able to access all that bonus material now. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate your support and we'll see you on the next show. Thank you.